welcome to Springbrook. It's uh, good to be with you once again this morning. And uh, whether this is uh, your very first time or you're a regular here at Springbrook, we are uh, so glad to have you with us this morning. I think as you came in this morning, you hopefully received a, a copy of this week's bulletin. You're going to want to take a few minutes to have a look over uh, some of the things that are taking place and make sure you're up to date on uh, everything that's going on. Uh, but I also want to uh, point out that there is a tear-off slip in here, the, the, the welcome card. And uh, again, whether uh, this is your first time or, uh, or your 101st time, we would love you to take just a moment to uh, uh, fill that out. There's an opportunity to share some prayer requests if you have them, uh, to get more information about some different ministries that are going on. It's a great way to, uh, in a sense, keep in touch. And so uh, a little bit later in the service, you'll have the opportunity when the baskets are passed to place that completed form in there. So I encourage you. Uh, to take a few moments to, uh, to do that. You know, at this time of year, as we're in this Advent season, the season of preparation for Christmas, uh, I'm sure that there are many different uh, traditions, many different uh, activities that, uh, that you would enjoy or that you associate with this Christmas season. Uh, my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, uh, this morning is actually helping out. Uh, she's been working with, uh, with a group of, uh, of children who are putting on a, a Christmas nativity pageant. And uh, uh, those things are always fun. Uh, they're usually a little bit chaotic. Uh, but one of the things that's interesting when you, uh, uh, when you watch children uh, preparing f- to do a Christmas nativity play is that uh, oftentimes you'll have the problem that everybody wants to play the same role. And so she was telling me that they were having some issues because there were two little girls who were both dead set on being Mary. And, uh, of course, they couldn't both be Mary, and so this was uh, some difficult waters they were trying to navigate to, uh, uh, to have one of them play Mary and one of them choose another role. And, uh, and, and, and so sometimes you'll see also in uh, Christmas nativities, you, you, you'll see there's like this huge group of angels, and there's just kind of one lonely sheep over there in the corner. And, because kids often get it in their mind what they want to play in a nativity pageant. But, of course, uh, while it's fun to watch those, there's a sense in, 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 a, in a children's play like that, just as we find in the account that we find in Scripture, that there are many different characters, and yet each of them plays a very vital and important role in the laying out of God's purposes. In fact, we could very much say that as we think of the different characters that we associate with the Christmas story, Um, uh, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the angels and the Grinch. No, that's not part of that one, is it? Um, And uh, uh, we think of the different characters that were there, the the magi, the the, the wise men. Uh, Each of them uh, uh, show us something a little bit different about the Christmas story. And, of course, at this time... Everything, as always, ought to be pointing to Christ himself, to the Christ child, to the one who was promised, to the Savior, the eternal Son of God who steps down from glory to come and dwell amongst us as we've been singing. But as we prepare for our celebration of Christmas this year, I want us to take a little bit of time this morning to look at and to learn from, in God's Word, a very important character in this Christmas story, one that some of us grew up uh, hearing a lot about, and others 
maybe have not heard a great deal about, and that's the person of Mary. Mary. We find uh, the account uh, that we're going to look at this morning in Luke's gospel in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1, and if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me there in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Luke 1, verse 39. As you're turning there, uh, I want to let you know that immediately before this passage is the account where we see the angel Gabriel coming to, to Mary. She's probably about 13 years old. So we're talking about a young girl in many respects. And he comes bearing a message. And the message is that Mary will conceive that she will bear the Son of God, the promised Messiah. As we heard from Pastor Rich last week, uh, uh, as he was preaching from from Matthew, uh, that they are to call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so the angel Gabriel explains that this will happen because the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and she will bear the Son. And Mary takes God at His word. And then we find this passage that we're in this morning here in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. And it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed in a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And what we're going to see as this passage unfolds is that those who are humble worship God, taking him at his word and marveling that he delights to use them. Marveling that he delights to use them. Uh, so uh, it's interesting that we find this account uh, immediately after the message from uh, the angel Gabriel uh, to Mary. And part of the reason for that is part of what Gabriel spoke to Mary as he announces this message from God that she will bear the Son of God, Jesus, is, is that he said, even now in her old age, your cousin Elizabeth bears a child. And Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, actually was at this time pregnant with John the Baptist. And and so what what has happened here is that Mary has received this message. And the first thing that she does, as far as we can tell, when the angel leaves her, is she hightails it about 80 miles or so down to where her cousin Elizabeth lives. Because Elizabeth was much, much older than Mary. In fact, uh, uh, Luke's gospel tells us that she was far beyond the ability to bear children. And so this itself was a work of God. And so even though Mary takes God at his word, that what has been said will indeed take place, she goes and she receives encouragement. And if you like, an affirmation, an evidence of the working of God through her cousin's life. And so there's this beautiful picture sort of a mutual encouragement that we have here in this passage. 
And, and, and so what we see is that those who take God at his word not only honor him, but they actually get to be a testimony to others. You see, uh, 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 Mary shows up at Elizabeth's house. She didn't have a cell phone. So she didn't text her ahead of time to say, Cousin Elizabeth, I'm on the way. I'm going to stay with you for a while. She just showed up on her doorstep. Uh, the end of the passage tells us that she actually stays there for, um, uh, for about three months. So how would you like that? Somebody just showing up out of the blue um, uh, from, uh, from a distance. You're not expecting them. They show up at your house and spend the next three months with you. Most of us would maybe feel a little uncomfortable with that, but that's what Mary does. Uh, and as soon as she arrives, uh, she announces, she calls out to her cousin. And, and we see here that when she hears the greeting, Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit, exclaims this praise to God. Uh, We see that Elizabeth heard the greeting and the baby within her leaped in her womb. In fact, twice here in this passage, it refers to the baby in Elizabeth's womb. And while this passage is not specifically addressing this issue, it is certainly one of the places in Scripture we can go to to clearly see that from God's perspective, life begins at conception. That this is a baby, not simply a fetus, not simply an amalgamation of cells. And so we see here then this expression of of, of praise. She says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so filled with the Holy Spirit, she understands in that moment that Mary is indeed bearing the promised Messiah. And she goes on to say, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And I love this, verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. You see, Mary believed that God would do precisely what he said he would do, even though it seemed impossible. You know, the problem with the the Christmas narrative is that it's become so familiar to us, hasn't it? Uh, But think how shocking this is that this, this 13 or so year old girl who's not married uh, would have an angel come, a message from God declaring the Spirit of God will overshadow you and you will become pregnant, you will conceive, and you will bear this child, the Son of God. And in fact, the angel there in that previous account, the angel Gabriel says, uh, for nothing is impossible with God. You know what? Mary took God at his word and believed. And that was of tremendous encouragement to Elizabeth. Mary believed that God would fulfill the promise that had been made generations before to provide a savior. In fact, uh, she understood, and I love the, the last song that we sung, King of Kings, because it starts there with creation and the declaration through the prophets. We need to remember the fact that, that the coming of Christ was God's plan A from before even the foundations of the earth. 
It was foretold, and God demonstrates his great faithfulness. He demonstrates the fact that he is a covenant-keeping God, a promise-keeping God, as he now is fulfilling all that has been foretold about the coming of this Messiah, this promised one, the Christ. And God continues today to be faithful to his word. And you know, when we confidently trust him, then just like Elizabeth here, and just like as we're going to see in a moment with Mary, uh, we're led to worship. But we're also inspired to, to help others to a place of worship too. You know, one of the most incredible things that I think uh, that I enjoy seeing is when, when people get a sense of what God is doing, and they get excited about what God is doing, and they start to learn to, to, to trust Him for who He is and what He said He will do. And then they, as a result of that, and as a result of that expression of faith and that joy and that confidence that kind of wells up in their own heart over that, others see that and are strengthened and are refreshed. Have you ever experienced that? Somebody so excited about what God is doing, they'll say, you know what, I was reading in the Scriptures this morning, and I read this, and it's amazing. What does it do? It encourages you as well, strengthens you as well. And, and we're surrounded by people here in the church who need to be strengthened and encouraged in their walk with the Lord. We're surrounded by people outside of these doors who, who may think we're a little bit crazy when we actually take God at his word, when we actually believe that he is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And yet, even though they may think that's a little bit crazy, they're curious. They're watching. They're like, wow, you really believe what it says. And here Elizabeth so encouraged by the fact that standing before her is her young cousin who took God at his word and trusted that what he said would happen. But we also see as this passage unfolds that truly worshiping God begins when we recognize our humble estate before him. Now look with me, beginning in verse 46, we move into uh, uh, now uh, what's often called the Magnificat. It's the Song of Mary. It simply means a, a, a declaration of praise or a song of praise. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's saying, everything within me cries out in praise and worship to God. Everything within me cries out in praise and worship. Um, I mentioned earlier that some of us maybe grew up in a tradition where Mary was talked about a lot. Um, and really, she was venerated in a way that Scripture does not venerate her. Uh, on the, the flip side of that, often in the evangelical church, uh, we kind of... Um, uh, we don't really focus on Mary at all. In fact, sometimes she's kind of denigrated. Uh, and the reality is, Scripture makes abundantly clear that, that, that Mary was a faithful, godly woman. She's laid out for us, in a sense, as, as an example of faith that we ought to follow. But even right here in this passage, this undoes a false doctrine that maybe some of us grew up hearing about, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which teaches that Mary herself was without sin. But here she expresses her own 
recognition of her need of a Savior. And it's only those who recognize that they are indeed a sinner, that they are indeed in need of rescue, who are able to understand that they need a Savior. And so when she cries out, my soul magnifies the Lord, uh, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We see here an acknowledgement of her own need. We don't go to Mary in prayer. We don't go to Mary in worship. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But we can rejoice and we can learn from the example of faithfulness of this wonderful woman. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Why? For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So we have this beautiful hymn of praise, this, this, this crying out to God in worship. And it comes really from the fact that Mary knew that she brought nothing to the table. Uh, she praises God. She says, everything within me praises God. Why? Because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. In fact, we see here throughout this song of praise of hers that she kind of holds in contrast something that the Old Testament holds in contrast and all through the New Testament we see held in contrast, and that's the idea of humility and pride. Humility and pride. Uh, that we have a God who opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, we have a God who, who is distant, is far off, from the proud, and yet draws near to and even exalts the humble. And in her song of worship, she acknowledges, God is working in me and through me for no other reason than because he is gracious. I bring nothing to the table. This young girl recognizes this. Even through this song, we see these interesting things here. We see things like the, the, the fact that he has filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he has sent away empty. We see that he has scattered the, the hearts of the proud. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, but he has exalted those of humble estate. What's he talking about here? You know, when we think of the splendor, of the wonder, of, of the enormity of the incarnation, that, that, that the eternal, glorious Son of God, the one who spoke all things into existence, the one who upholds the entire universe by the word of his power, that he would leave the glory and the splendor and the majesty of heaven, that he would take on human flesh and come and dwell amongst us, you would think, well, if he's going to do that, he's going to come to the throne room. He's going to come to the wealthy. He's going to come to the successful. But no. No. He humbles himself 
and he comes to the lowly. He humbles himself and he comes to the needy. He humbles himself and he becomes of no account. In fact, it's a reminder that we must approach God with humility, just like Mary did. Checking our attitude toward him, but also checking our attitude toward one another. Christmas is all about Christ's coming in humility. He not only humbles himself, but think about this. He comes to Mary, a young woman of no position. A young girl who you would pass in the street and not give the time of day to. He comes to a place, Bethlehem, of no particular worldly significance. It would be a little bit like, uh, uh, like saying, uh, you know, if Jesus was to come today and he came to Union, Illinois. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Union. Some of you may live in Union. I'm sure it's a wonderful place. But, I mean, I guess you've got what? You've got the Wild West world there, and you've got the train museum, I think. So I guess it's got something uh, going. But, but, but it's kind of, nobody would think of anything significant happening in Union, Illinois. That's what Bethlehem was like. He, doesn't, he comes to an off-the-track place comes to those of no particular worldly esteem and who, as we heard the uh, candle being lit this morning, who was the announcement made to at the birth of Christ? To shepherds. To shepherds. And yet, we're reminded that ours is a God who delights to use those who the world says have no particular significance. In fact, it's what we see here, that the humble are led to truly worship God when they marvel that he delights to use them. He delights to use them. Let's be honest, none of us are going to be called upon to bear the Son of God. That was a singular, unique, one-time situation in all of history. Every follower of Christ is used to display God's glory and to accomplish his good purposes. Think about that. Every single follower. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you belong to him, if you have experienced the joy of salvation in him, you and I are tools in the hand of God that he delights to use. Apparently, there's some sort of football game going on today. Um, And in that game, there are going to be players who are on the field. And there are going to be players who are kind of making up the numbers. And they sit on the bench the entire time. In fact, they sit there most of the season. Some of us look at ourselves and we tend to think that uh, we're kind of the bench warmers. Uh, We don't really have very much to offer. We compare ourselves with others. We don't really see anything too significant. We look at our lives and we're, we're, we're from Nowheresville. We seem in comparison to everybody else not to be as smart, not to be as talented, not to be as gifted. We feel like maybe we don't have much to offer and maybe some of us as we look at our life, there's something in our past that we allow to define us and we think to ourselves, God could never 
use someone like me. Well, here's the wonderful news. God does not have bench warmers. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, He is at work in you, and He will display His glory through you. And, and, and that's really what Mary is marveling over here. She's marveling at the fact that he is indeed a faithful God, that he is a covenant-keeping God. But she's marveling at the fact, who am I, God, that you would use me? Who am I that you would use me as a part of your work of bringing salvation to a needy world? I want you to think about this. Elizabeth was used by God to provide encouragement and a place of hospitality and a place of welcome and a visible picture of God's power and faithfulness to Mary. And Mary was used in Elizabeth's life to encourage her and remind her of God's faithfulness. But it's also true for each and every one of us that God uses you and me to display His grace. You know, if we had time to go there right now into Ephesians chapter 2, we would see this uh, really clearly there in a wonderful passage. And basically, it points to the fact that for all eternity, even in, even in heaven itself, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you will put on display for others to see the enormity of the grace of God. I mean, literally, I think in heaven, people are going to be coming up and they're like, wow, you're here? Isn't God amazing? How gracious that He let somebody like you in. We will display the grace of God. Every follower of Jesus Christ, simply by the fact that they are saved, is an object of God's grace for a watching world to see. More than that, God uses you and I to display the power of the gospel and to tell others about salvation in Jesus. We put it on display because our lives are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that transformation taking place is something that others around us over time get to see. But more than that, think about this. How amazing is this that God would actually use us to tell others about the good news of Jesus? That, that he would use me, that he would use you. I don't always do this very well. I was some in, up in Canada for some meetings uh, in the first half of this week, and uh, somebody in the lobby before the first service was asking how my week was. I was telling them about this, and I said it was really good, but um, uh, it was a little frustrating because the rental car that I had broke down. And, uh, and so it's, it's not really a good thing when your rental car breaks down. And so I, I had to call them up, and they sent a tow truck out, and they towed off my rental car. And thankfully, the rental company um, uh, um, paid for an Uber to get me to the nearest rental car location so I could get a replacement. Um, and i got to tell you, I kind of, my attitude probably was, well, it was not the best. Um, but, you know, as I sat there in the, rental, in, the, uh, in the Uber car going to the rental location to pick up a replacement, um, I got talking with the Uber driver. And I had the opportunity to share the gospel and to pray with him. And I had to repent later that day and say, God, 
I confess my attitude stank. And yet the breaking down of that rental car was all within your will, within your plan, so that I could meet this man and tell him about Christ. What a privilege we have. What a privilege we have. God has gifted you and I. And he uses us to to serve his people and to strengthen his church. Some of us may feel like, I don't really have a whole lot to offer. But again, we've talked about this before. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been given gifts. And they're given not so that you can uh, set them on a shelf, but so that you can use them, so that you can encourage others around you, so that you can build up and strengthen others. You are an exhibit of God's grace and His faithfulness and His power and His goodness. God uses you and I to encourage others with truth and to remind them of the promises of His Word. And and God uses you and I as as a channel of His love and His mercy towards a, a hurting world. The bottom line is that you and I, we were created to bring glory to Him. And what Mary understands here, what she is ultimately praising God for in this song is absolutely about the fact that the Savior is coming. And and we rejoice in that. But she's saying, God, I praise you that you would use me. And, And I think one of the great challenges that we have, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, is believing and doing as Mary did, taking God at his word that he would actually use people like us. Now, a number of years back now at our uh, former church, um, I did something that I didn't like doing and only did it a couple of times over the course of our many years of ministry there. And that was that um, our our, our worship leader on a particular Sunday had chosen uh, a worship song. It's an older one now, and it, 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 it goes something like, make us salt, make us light. I don't remember the rest of it, but I had to, after the services that day, I had to say, hey, you know, thanks for leading worship again this morning. Um, please never use that song again. Um, and he's like, why? Well, it's great. It's got a great tempo. People release. I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Please never use that song again because, because that song is asking God to do something that he's already done. That he's already done. You see, when Jesus spoke to his disciples in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he, he didn't tell them, pray that you might be salt and pray that you might be light. What he said to them is, you are the salt of the earth. A few verses later, you are the light of the world. It, it, it's not something they had to become. By the very nature of being connected to Jesus... Your life is displaying the grace of God. He is shining through you. You don't have to become light or become salt. You don't have to become something because he has already made you to be it. But the difference is salt needs to act like salt. And light shouldn't try to hide itself. So it's not a matter of make us this. It's a matter of live who you are. Mary is marveling 
because God is faithful. She's marveling because God is doing in her day precisely what he promised he would do. He is sending the Messiah, the Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord. And we should rejoice rightly over that at Christmas time. But we also ought to remember that the coming of Christ and all that Christ came to do impacts our lives. And the way that it impacts our life is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have tasted of his mercy, if you have experienced his forgiveness, if you are in him, God is at work in you and he is using you. And so those who are humble, they worship God, they take him at his word and they marvel that he delights to use them. Once again, I don't know where we all are this morning or what's been on our heart or what's been on our mind this week. But as we get ready for Christmas, as we rejoice in the coming of the Savior, may our song of worship be like Mary's. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Is that your testimony? That he who is mighty has done great things for you. If it is, then remember, our lives display the splendor of His grace. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful that indeed you are a faithful and true God, that your promises are fulfilled, that your word is steadfast, that just as you had promised that you would send a Savior, so Christ has come. And we thank you for the salvation that those of us who are in him have experienced because of all that he has done. Lord, may we rejoice and marvel that you would delight to work in us, to use us, and to display your glory through our lives. Not because of anything that we have done, but simply because you are so good. Lord, keep our hearts in that place of humility. Remind us, O oh God, that it is not because of anything that we have done, but it is purely because of your abundant and lavish grace that we stand as we stand. And Lord, I pray that we would indeed magnify you with all that we are, giving thanks to you. And as we take you at your word, as we rejoice in the knowledge of the greatness of who you are and what you have done, that we would also live in such a way that puts on display for a watching world to see the light of Christ, that they might also see and know him. Lord, we thank you for these things. We give you praise. Our soul 
magnifies your great name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.